right that we remember um, and uh, it's right that we also give thanks. You know, last Monday I, I picked up our grandchildren from school and uh, I asked Max, Max is four, very little one, uh, he only just started in September, not five yet, and uh, I said to him, say, how was school today, Max? Good. That's <laughs> what you normally get out of them, is that as far as you can get. Yeah. But he's young enough that you can push him a bit harder. So I asked him, so what did your teacher talk about today? Well, the conversation went something like this. Well, she talked about fighting on the field. Oh, I said, so uh, people were fighting on the field, were they? Yes. Oh. I'm thinking about the kids in lunchtime, you know, having a big argument. So, so were there many of them? Oh, yeah, quite a lot. Oh, okay. They were fighting a lot, were they? Yeah, they're fighting a lot. Oh, and it was sad. Oh, okay. So, was anyone hurt? Oh, yeah, a lot of people were hurt. Oh, yeah, lots of guns and things, and lots of people killed. There's a what? <laughs> of course, they'd been talking about Remembrance Day, but it was that perspective that, that he had. He grasped some of it, but obviously not every bit of it. You know, at that age, what do you expect? But then, even among us, you know, we will have different memories and we'll have different experiences, won't we? Um, and even some differences in understanding, of course. But uh, today, these three words, lest we forget, I mean, they, they simply express what it's about. Words that are going to be said around about 11 o'clock and at other times today here uh, in this country and in other countries around the world. And around about 11 o'clock, we might not make it exactly, but around then uh, we'll have a period of silence as well, lest we forget. I mean, for some who lost loved ones in the wars of the 20th century and since, it will have very special memories. For those who took part in battle, there'll be very poignant reflections, of course. But for most of us, it's a time to remember the suffering and the sacrifice of ordinary men and women who fought in the interest of their nation and its values. So why put a specific day uh, aside to remember? You know, I once heard someone say that they didn't have a bad memory, they just had a very good forgettery. The trouble is we forget so soon, don't we? I mean, that's why even in small communities we have a memorial column. That's why we wear our poppies as a reminder so that every generation of men, women and children should not forget what was done on their behalf. You know, even in the school that I work part-time in, the children go round and sell poppies to the children. It's all part of the learning and remembering of, of what it's about. They're there to remind us and they remind us of how, in the mercy of God, we've been delivered from tyranny or from oppression, lest we forget. We're not here to celebrate victory this morning, we're here to reflect and to be thankful. Now, forgetfulness, of course, is not just a modern problem. The Israelites had the same problem. They too have passed through a great liberation experience. We know the story well. They'd been living as slaves in Egypt and they were suffering harsh treatment as forced labour, probably building you know, the famous pyramids that we pay and go and see nowadays. And then Jehovah, the God of their forefathers, heard their cries of misery 
and desperation. God chose and called Moses to lead his people out of Egypt in a great national deliverance that we now know, of course, as the Exodus. And then in Exodus 15, as they came out of the parted Red Sea, they sang a song of deliverance, expressing their thankfulness and praising God for his power. I picked out just a few of the verses there, which you might be able to read, but it says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord, glorious in holiness, awesome in splendour, performing great wonders. With your unfailing love, you lead the people you have redeemed. They sung that song as they came out from the parted Red Sea, as they had their deliverance. They were liberated, they were free, they were thankful. But when you read on, three days later, they complained about some bitter water and some boring manna to eat. Didn't take long. They were so caught up in those relatively minor difficulties of journey that they soon forgot of their day of deliverance from their enemy by the hand of God. As they journeyed through the wilderness, every now and then they would set up a few stone pillars, if you remember, to remember specific events. But their periods of complaining often seemed to outnumber their thankfulness. They forgot their miraculous freedom from slavery. Now it's easy for us to judge and say we'd never do that if we'd had something like that. But how typical it is of human nature to forget and to be ungrateful. <coughs> now God gave Moses what we know as the Ten Commandments, direction for living that would set the standard for his people and set them apart from other nations, make them different. And in the years that followed, Moses often repeated them in stirring addresses to the young nation at times when they were losing their focus or drifting from their calling as the people of God. And in Deuteronomy 5, it says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Remember. The call is to remember, and in the next few chapters of Deuteronomy, that verse is repeated three or more times as if to emphasise the importance of the fact. Basically, they were saying to remember the past so that it might be better in the present and in the future. Now for us, Remembrance Day is kept each year so that we have that same opportunity to reflect on the significance of our freedom, perhaps to recalibrate and to be thankful. We reflect on those who gave their lives and also on those that are affected by war and conflict, those who served in the armed forces and the many other services that supported them as well. Police, fire, ambulance, coast guard, just to name a few. Men and women who serve at the cost of their own lives of their own mental well-being and of their own families. We reflect on them and also on the innocent caught up in war and conflict and perhaps brought to us so graphically at the moment on our television screens from Ukraine, from Gaza and Israel, just to mention a few. You know, one of the most powerful acts of remembrance I've ever attended was probably about seven years ago 
when Dieter and I visited the battlefields of Flanders and we stayed at Ypres, Ypres, Ypres I'm never quite sure how to pronounce it, but Ypres uh, in Belgium. We stayed in a small family-run hotel within walking distance of the town centre and I was immediately struck uh, by the welcome. I was asked by the proprietor, you know, were we there to visit the battlefields and the, mor- and the memorials? And when I said that we were, he gave us a map of the area, a guide and instructions on how to get around and make sure that we got the most out of our visit. Now, was that just a commercial enterprise? I didn't get that impression. He'd researched and written the guide himself. He wanted to share his thankfulness for those who'd given their lives for his freedom. Now, from October 1914, the British and Commonwealth troops, they marched through Ypres. They marched over the remains of the moat and the ramparts of the old town fortifications. They marched through there onto the battlefields. And for the next four years, practically every regiment passed over that spot. And of course, as we know, many thousands never returned. The Meningate Memorial now stands there. It marks that crossing point. It opened in 1927. And it became the place where the people of Ypres expressed their gratitude towards those who gave their lives for their freedom. But what struck me was that a ceremony is still conducted there to this day by the people of Ypres, not the British people or anything, you know, people visited, there were lots of, of people that came along as well, but it's conducted by the people of Ypres from gratitude um, and remembrance. It's not done once a year, not once a month or once a week, but once a day. Every day, eight o'clock, uh, that's in the evening, when the traffic is stopped and the buglers play the last post. It's not a small gathering either. It's huge. It causes disruption. But the people remember. Its full name is the Meningate Memorial to the Missing. There are names of 55,000 officers and men who fell and had no known grave. And we know very little about them except that they gave their lives to change our world. Now, most of us won't have personal experience of war. Some will have memories of times soon after, perhaps rations or hard times, parents struggling or perhaps national service. When I grew up, more in the sort of 70s time, um, when I was more aware, I was very aware of the constant conflict in Northern Ireland and the terrorist activities on mainland Britain, the Guildford pubs, Harrods, at the changing of the guard, the Houses of Parliament and the Brighton bombing. When peace came, it seemed to be something that was different to the norm because my norm only knew that conflict in Northern Ireland. And we could name many conflicts and struggles in the time between the two world wars and now. I think it's important we remember, though, that every person involved is an individual. I mean, it's easy for us to say the IRA or the Russians or the Germans or whatever, um, wherever we want to speak. But within each conflict, there's individuals. They don't all share the same values. 
Some are pressured into having to serve, as some of our military were. Some are under threat of severe consequences if they don't comply. And my perspective was changed back in 1983, although the story starts a year earlier. I used to work for Ford, as most of you will probably know. I was a, had a bit of time off and I was painting the front of our first floor masonette in Chapel Heath, our first property. And then the phone rang. <coughs> Didn't have mobiles in those days. Didn't have cordless phones in those days and I was up the ladder. I had to get down the ladder, up the stairs, grab the phone, I think just before it stopped ringing. And it was my manager. He asked me if I'd relocate to Germany for a year. And he wanted an answer in two days. Dieter was expecting Paul in about seven months. Neither of us could speak German and I failed my French O-level. I was hopeless at languages. <laughs> Absolutely hopeless. There's not many people get an F when they do their O-level, but I did. Uh, there were all sorts of questions and emotions, of course, and, and I didn't get a lot of painting done, I tell you. Not for the rest of the day. But apart from the practical implications, there was also an emotional one. My mum's brother was killed fighting in the war just a few months before the end. How would she react? Her grandson would be born in Germany. Now, 1982, if you think about it, is about 40 years ago. Now, I guess most of us have some memory of that sort of period. Now, go back to 1982. 40 years ago was 1942. You know, it would have been a relatively recent memory. Now, I don't remember that full discussion with Mum, although I know she wasn't happy. But we went. And when Paul was born in 83, April 83, she came over and soon afterwards came to see her grandson. It was a big step. Of course it was. But probably I'll never know exactly how big it was. Now, at the time, obviously working in Germany, my supervisor was German, He'd fought in the war. As we built rapport and built a bit of relationship, there was an opportunity to talk about the war, his role, and, and my uncle, or would have been my uncle. Heinz, his name, Heinz had part of his arm missing. It had been damaged in battle, which I think made him medically unfit and he was discharged. And then his focus changed. He told me how he'd hidden and helped smuggle Jews out of Germany. Often, he said, they would cover them in old engine oil, put them into cramped spaces on a train or a vehicle because the dogs could not smell a human life under the engine oil. Now, I didn't have a, a lot of information about my mum's brother. His name was Jack. Mum only had a few bits about the war, obviously. But Heinz offered to see what he could find out. And he tracked down the cemetery. There was a headstone with his name. Although it was unclear whether he's actually buried there. So Mum knew very little apart from the fact he died in action. And then we were able to take her to the cemetery when she visited. Obviously, a very special moment. You can see there how similar to that video that we just watched. The, the graves are immaculate, absolutely immaculate when you go over there. 
it was very close to the Dutch-German border. I mean, who knows? Heinz and Jack might have engaged in battle. We don't know. But in that little building there near the entrance was a book listing all those remembered in that particular cemetery. And we found her brother's listing. (coughs) Although he was listed as John, he was always known as Jack. And then I got to thinking how Jack's name will still be remembered in that book, in that cemetery, long after I've gone. He, along with thousands of others, gave his life. He gave his today for our tomorrow. But let's remember as well, whilst that book is there and that book will stay, we also have a much more important book that our names will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Now we know that that war is, is horrible, is destructive, often motivated by, motivated by greed and self-importance. And I can't imagine what it must have been like for those who fought and lived in those wars. Today we remember from different perspectives, but we also need to remember and give thanks that there can be healing, restoration and hope. <coughs> I haven't forgotten the stories Heinz told me, what, <coughs> sorry, is there water there? Yeah. <coughs> or oh, the kindness that he showed, you know, in being able to, to find that grave. Remember, it's 1983. There's no internet, no Google searches, no sat-navs or mobile phones. It was just a bit of hard work. Now, as Christians, we know that we're a fallen people, that we've messed up. Not just once or twice, but quite regularly quite many times. All of us have fallen short of God's standard. The whole of the human race was created by God and for God and yet so often we live with, without him. We choose our own way. The Israelites weren't brought out of captivity by God, led by Moses. Sorry, they were brought out of captivity by God, led by Moses into freedom. And the same way we have been redeemed from our sin, by Jesus' death on the cross. The key to victory for the Israelites, their freedom, was bought by sacrifice. There was a grand design, a plan of action, but it was only made possible through sacrifice, the laying down of one life for another. This is seen particularly when we go back to that Exodus story of the Passover. You'll remember that the final plague to be inflicted across Egypt was the passing of the angel of death, the death of the firstborn. There'd be no exception. Except Moses told his people that the only way to escape was to paint on the doorposts of each of their homes the blood of the lamb that had been offered as a sacrifice, the life of an innocent lamb in the place of the firstborn. It wasn't a question of one Israelite giving their life for another. It was that symbolism of the lamb, the perfect sinless life. That was their means of freedom. And when Jesus started his ministry, he was announced by John the Baptist as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The original Passover lambs were just symbols looking forward to the true Passover lamb. We're to remember 
that God, what God has done. We're to remember the past to be better in the present and in the future. As I said, Moses had repeated his call to remember a number of times because their tendency was to forget. When he first told them to remember, he emphasised the need to keep the Sabbath, which of course for us is Sunday. Now we might have different views about how we do that. We may, hand, we may find it easy to be able to spend a quiet day we might love to come to church, but others will have to work. There's all sorts of ways in which we nowadays have a Sabbath. But what's important is that we do set time aside to have a Sabbath rest. Whether that be today, as you know, for me, it's, it's the great time that we can have and be together. And obviously the fact that you're here, you know, we, we love to celebrate the Sunday and the Sabbath together. But in our modern world, that's not always possible. What is possible? is that we spend time and we have a Sabbath rest. We put time aside for God whenever that time is in our week. Now we need to have diligence and determination to be a follower of Jesus. It's a costly business to be a Christian. You know, entry is free, we know that. But the annual subscription... We often get caught up on that, don't we, with other things. You know, you start something and then suddenly you get the annual subscription. But we make no secret that the annual subscription is everything. It's all we have, it's all we are. It can be easier to respond to the Ten Commandments as if they're ten suggestions, just to follow them as, it, as we like, depending on how it suits our purposes. But we need to remember that they're not just Old Testament commandments. They were taken up by Jesus who extended them and gave his instruction on how to work them through in our lives. The intention, not just the law. I read recently that the great Indian leader Gandhi, we know he was a Hindu, but in his early days he was very impressed impressed by the message of the gospel. He decided to find out more and for several Sundays he attended a church in Pretoria but he was disappointed because he found that his fellow worshippers weren't serious believers at all. They were simply going to church for recreation and to conform to what was expected. So Gandhi concluded that there was nothing in Christianity which he didn't already better possess. He once said, I'd seriously consider becoming a Christian if it wasn't for Christians. I wonder how the world might have been if he'd have been actually become a Christian. Now I have a contractor who comes into work and, and often he likes to talk about faith in general. He was brought up as a Catholic and his aunt was a Baptist. She owned a Christian bookshop in Norfolk. And recently he's been visiting places of worship, different faiths, Islam, Sikh, Hindu, Jewish. And he said that today... He's going to a Pentecostal church. He said the best welcome he received was in the synagogue and that the, found that the most difficult people to talk to about their faith was Christians. They just seemed so reluctant to share. We need to remember that we are the visible representatives of Christ on earth and ask ourselves, are we giving the right signals to those around us? 
Now, just briefly, the second and third times that Moses reminded us to remember, he said, remember, um, it was when he was passing on God's instructions on how to treat the poor. If there are poor Israelites in your towns, when you arrive in the land the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Do not be mean-spirited. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. There will always be some in the land who are poor. That is why I am commanding you to share freely with the poor and with the Israelites in need. Remember that you were once slaves in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That's why I'm giving you this command. Remembrance Day is a reminder that we too are debtors. What we had today is partly from the fruits of the labours and sacrifices of the generations that went before us. We do well to remember the needy. Indeed, for us, God's people, it's a requirement. We're called to share from the blessings we've received and that includes financially in many other ways too. As we remember and give thanks for those who've gone before us, we need to take a moment to remind ourselves that with prosperity also comes responsibility. And the third time that Moses reminds them to remember, he widens that connection with their social obligations. I'm not going to read all of that, but he says, remember, they were told to uphold justice, to take care of orphans and widows. And it's clear that whether they were harvesting their crops of grain or olives or grapes, they were to be generous to those less fortunate and to remember that they'd been made free and they needed to share that freedom. We may not be directly responsible for bringing in that harvest nowadays, but the principle remains. It's a reminder that fits well with Remembrance Day to remember with gratitude and practical help those who still suffer as the result of war and inequality. So when Jesus expanded the understanding of the Ten Commandments, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And of course in Galatians, Paul tells us that one of the fruits of the Spirit is peace. We're called to bear that fruit, to pray for peace, and to bring peace through how we interact with people, helping to alleviate suffering by working to address inequalities that are so often brought by war, and then to take every opportunity to spread and share the gospel that's so needed to bring the true, lasting and full peace that will reign forever. I think one of the saddest moments in the Gospels is when Jesus healed ten lepers. That was a good bit. But just one came back to say thank you. And he said, where are the other nine? They've forgotten to come back and say thank you. And I'm told that immediately after World War II ended, the churches were packed full of thankful people. But that sense of thankfulness soon faded. Many were immediately thankful, but soon forgot their deliverer. 
on Remembrance Day, we don't celebrate as victors. We're not here to glorify war or the supremacy of one country over another. We're here to remember all those people who died in the pursuit of freedom and good. We're here to give thanks to God for their lives and for lives given for the freedom of many countries around the world and to acknowledge publicly and before God that countless people have given their lives for us, for our freedom. And in our high street, there'll be many doing just that right now. We're here to remember and to pray for all who suffer and have suffered as a result of war. Now it's just on 11 o'clock. I haven't quite finished, but it's a good point at which to break and take two minutes now. So those who'd like to stand and just to remember, if you can't stand and prefer to sit, that's fine. But let's spend just a couple of moments now of silence and remember. Father, we remember and give thanks for those that fought on our behalf that we might be free. Help us, Lord, always to be thankful and help us to live out that freedom in a way that honours you. Father, our minds go to, to places of trouble around the world some frequently on our TV screens, some not. But Father, you watch all. Help our hearts not to harden as we remember those caught up in conflict. Father, again, we thank you for our freedom and for those that went before us. Amen. I'm going to finish with a a well-known poem from John McRae who fought in World War I, a Canadian In Flanders fields the poppies blow between the crosses row on row that mark our place and in the sky the larks still bravely singing fly scarce heard amid the guns below We are the dead. Short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow. Loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you from failing hands we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. If you break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders fields. And so, we remember them. Our remember is not simply something in the past, but something that we make present here and now, as we realise that significance for each of us. Whoever, whatever, wherever our thoughts turn, today we remember those who laid down their lives for others 
and we recognise that there's no greater thing that one can do than to lose one's life for the benefit of others, for freedom and for liberty. And so, as we just have, we remember those who gave their today for our tomorrow. And we're challenged as to how we show our gratitude and how we exercise our faith. Let's pray. Again, Lord, thank you for our freedom. Challenge our hearts, Lord, to, to work for freedom, to work to bless others, to show our gratitude and our thankfulness to you and to those that went before us. Perhaps the phrase is used a bit too often in some ways to make the world a better place, but help us, Lord, to do that. Wherever our world is, whether it be just our home, whether it be in the local shops or at work, in our family, wherever it is, in our neighbourhood, Lord, may we work to show our gratitude, to show our love, to show your love, and to remember all you've done for us to share and to bless you and to bless those around us. So Lord, fill us, challenge us, and work through as we pray. Amen.